0: Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget.
1: Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Well, it's very nice to meet you. You too, Pia. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. And congrats on your book. I know that it's already out, but congratulations! Thank you.
0: What a, what thank a you! What an honor. Yes, thank you so much. It's exciting that it is officially out now. So, oh, yeah, I'm you sure know. the lead after that. Was yes, really fun. <laughs> a lot of work, so it feels good to be on the other side.
1: So, I want to get into. What you studied, where you're from, how you grew up—like a little bit of your background. Mm-hmm.
0: So I'm from New York City, born and raised in oh, Queens. You have a great New York accent, <laughs> accent. I get yeah, it you all can the hear time. It like a little bit, <laughs> native New Yorker for sure. <laughs> and I, like I said, I grew up in Queens. And growing up, I struggled with my mental health. I come from a really large family, a blended family. So I'm the youngest of 13. I'm my mother's second child and my father's 12th child. So because of the significant age difference as well, despite me having a lot of siblings, I kind of always felt like an only kid growing up. Mm -hmm. And I also watched a lot of dysfunction play out because I was surrounded by so many adults and that impacted me. And then just the way I moved through life as a kid, I was bullied. I dealt with a lot of things related to my mental health as a child. So that significantly impacted me. And when I was a teenager, because I never necessarily got hope for the things I was dealing with, mm-hmm. I did become suicidal and I started to struggle with suicidal thoughts and I began to cut as a form of self harm. Mm-hmm. And um I remember talking to a friend about it and my friend who was also my age at the time shared that she had never experienced the things that I was experiencing. So <laughs> never had suicidal thoughts. Well, don't pout yet. <laughs> well, I was um, like so yeah. sad
1: to hear to be like, I never felt that way. And you're like, Mom? Yeah. Like I know, but that's I a, I, I moment for a little person.
0: It is definitely a big moment. And fascinatingly, though, I was actually happy to hear that. Mm. (laughs) And the reason why I was happy to hear that, and at 16, I think I was very evolved despite being a teenager. Mm -hmm. But the reason why it actually felt good to know that I was alone is because I needed to know what the other side of my darkness looks like. Mm -hmm. And so for me... My friend was very nurturing and empathetic and caring. So I never necessarily felt like I did not have emotional support, which I think even if someone can't relate to what you're going through, as long as they can be an emotionally safe sounding board, Mm. there can be healing. And for me, when my friend was sharing that she did not relate, she didn't understand that opened my eyes to realize, oh, okay, so happiness is a thing. Because if you have it, why can't I have it? Yeah, absolutely. So that helped me really reframe. Was there a
1: conversation in your family that you were able to have with like any adults or siblings or were you,
0: no, you were on your own? No, no, I was on my own. I did not feel safe enough to have these conversations. And it was more so because I grew up in a home where it was like, mom, I don't feel pretty. And she was like, you're beautiful. What are you talking about? And like, mm. that's it? Like, there, there was no, like. Well, there's a lot of people oh. to have
1: conversations with. It's probably just trying to handle that as, right. with as efficiently as possible.
0: Exactly. You know, I could tell that my parents didn't have the skills to talk to me about hard things. Mm-hmm. So if there were other things I tried to talk to them about that I didn't feel comfortable with and they had a response that just made me feel belittled or judged or scolded. I knew there's no way that I could go to them and say, I actually feel suicidal because what are you going to do with that? Yeah, You know, course. are you going to dismiss that too? Do you know how to respond to that? So that's the reason why I went to my friend. And like I said, my friend was also 16. So it's not like they could do much for me, mm-hmm. but them responding the way they did actually gave me guidance and it gave me the support that I needed. So I ended up talking to my guidance counselor. My friend encouraged me to talk to someone about what I was going through. Yeah, at school. I spoke to my guidance counselor. I will fully share, though, I did not disclose that I was suicidal because even as a teen, I knew the laws around that.
1: Yeah,
0: they would have informed my parents. But I was able to talk to my guidance counselor about the things that was making me feel suicidal. Yeah, and I think that was significant. And so that experience actually made me want to be a social worker. It made mm-hmm. me want to get in this field of understanding what was wrong with me, the things that happened to me, understanding mental health and behavioral health and just how different systems impact the way we experience the world. So that is what made me pursue this field.
1: It's incredible. Thank you. And you went to school for this, obviously. You're a social yes. worker.
0: Yes. Yeah, so I went to NYU for my master's program, which is where oh, wow. I studied social work. Yes. And it was actually an undergrad that I I studied business for undergrad, so a completely different field. And the reason why is because I was exploring many different career options. So I was like, I want to get into the social work field, but I also want to get into fashion. I also want to start a business. And I just didn't know what direction to go. And so I went to school for business. I don't know um, why they made, made you
1: spend, like, get in debt for the rest of your life to pick what exactly. you Exactly. Right. Right. <laughs> like, you're so, you're so confused. Like, you just spend all this money and figure it out. <laughs> I went to Parsons around the corner from you and had a program where I could, like, build all these different, because two. But I think it's probably helpful now that you have a business that you were able to study that, huh?
0: Yes, it was really helpful. And so in undergrad, I took a lot of my elective classes in psychology. And I remember I had a sociologist professor who was a social worker. Oh, wow. And she is the one who inspired me. And I said, you know what? I'm going to get my master's in social work. Amazing. So as I said, I earned my degree from NYU and I studied the clinical track. So I did practice as a therapist for nine years. um, working with clients who struggle with depression, anxiety, and trauma, primarily with women. And I also worked in early head. Start here in New York City, where I service children ages zero to five on their social emotional oh, development and also worked with their parents and family. So I've done a lot. <laughs> and now I am doing corporate wellness work. So it's it's a lot.
1: <laughs> so like I put in my work and now I get to right. enjoy the other side of this work the other side which, of it. Mm-hmm, <laughs> which is probably a little bit of, I always wonder for social workers actually like how you take care of your mental health. When you are talking to a child that I'm sure is saying heartbreaking things or in a heartbreaking situation, like it must be very interesting for you to ha- have a, an emotional boundary there, so you don't humble
0: yeah. absolutely. I think it's really important. And the way that I have been able to do that and sustain being in my career so long is because I do have a lot of healthy boundaries in place. Mm-hmm. And a healthy, Mm -hmm. supportive system. As a social worker, when I was specifically seeing clients, I always had a supervisor who I could share my ideas with, but also just share my concerns and share the different things that was coming up for me in sessions, so that I could have professional guided support. But I also see a therapist, you know, Mm -hmm. I also have to take care of me and I'm a human, so I'm exposed to. You know, so it's really important for me to get the supportive care that I need from my colleagues. And I get that through paid supervision. I also get that through therapy. And I think I I've taught myself early on in my career because this is a career that has high levels of burnout. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of people transition out very quickly because of the things you just shared. Like it can Mm -hmm. be heartbreaking. And we also have a system in America that fails people. So yes. that is another thing that's difficult because, especially when you're working you're not with set children, up to thrive here, right? You're not set up to thrive, and our systems don't help you thrive. And it's a system that you have to abide by. And so you have these morals, you have these beliefs. You want to help people, and you realize there's a system at play that is a huge barrier to helping people thrive. Can you talk about
1: some of those barriers?
0: You. Yeah. So let's first talk about healthcare. <laughs> In America, <laughs> right? Wait. Let's talk about how healthcare is tied to employment. So, the moment someone gets laid off from their job or mm-hmm. even wants to transition out of their job to maybe pursue entrepreneurship. I remember when I was quitting my full time job, the number one thing people said to me when I desired to step into full time entrepreneurship was, What are you going to do about health insurance? Mm-hmm. That was the number one thing that hindered a lot mm-hmm. of people to support this path for me because they were concerned about my health and access mm-hmm. to health care. The fact that healthcare is tied to employment is a problem. There are many reasons why somebody might be unemployed. And we also know that it is a system that is it is a system that's difficult to engage in Mm -hmm. because of so many reasons. And so that alone creates barriers. When we talk about therapy, therapy itself is not even easily accessible. Through the healthcare system, despite the fact that they're tied together. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it's not easily accessible is because most healthcare providers do not pay out an appropriate rate to therapists to be able to sustain their livelihood, mm. which is why a lot of therapists charge an out of pocket fee. Mm-hmm. So we see when we're talking about mental health and trying to create more accessible resources, it is important for people to know that therapists do want to take insurance. The problem is insurance companies do not pay their therapists adequate and livable wages from these sessions. Therefore, so while they the,
1: have to, the health of our society is tied. It's not crazy It's just it's tied into like a third party organization exactly, like, or a corporation that has nothing—it's like this is like should be just like a human right, right? To have a high-functioning exactly. society, it's exactly, just better all of us.
0: Exactly. So that is the number one system that's really difficult to engage in. And I also think that we live in a system that still has a lot of racial disparities, Mm -hmm. a system that really keeps people oppressed. And so when we think about these systems around wages, when we think around these systems around access to quality schools, because Mm -hmm. healthcare and mental health doesn't just start when you wake up and say, you know what, I'm not feeling like my best self. To provide a human being healthy rights and allow them to thrive and be their best self starts in childhood. And it's not just on the role of a parent. It's on the role of society, mm-hmm. having healthy social infrastructures where children have things to do, where children have parks, greenery, after school resources, where parents don't feel like they have to pick and choose between a job and childcare, because mm-hmm. there are many people who feel like they have to stay at home with their child. But that also impacts their finances because they also need to work. But child all of their wages goes to child care. Right. So it's mm-hmm. an expensive system to engage in then we also think of benefits, right? The lack of PTO, adequate PTO and sick time on jobs. And then also thinking about all of the systems at play, right? Thinking of education, having private education versus public education and the stark differences between the two. So when I say barriers, I'm thinking of all of those things because a healthy person needs to thrive in a healthy environment. Mm -hmm. If my environment is poor, if my environment is not giving me adequate resources, if my environment isn't even allowing me to have a livable wage, then that is going to stunt my emotional development and even cognitive development as a human being, and it's going to stunt on my long the longevity of my life. Mm-hmm. So I think these are things that I this hope is in my lifetime, are systematic this systematically system. disproportionate. And mm-hmm. I do think that I do hope that in my generation, I can see more change because I do think change has happened, but we still have a lot more progress to make.
1: Signature offerings that help you move, eat, and sleep well. Weston Hotels make travel an opportunity to enhance all your well being while you're away. Because, like, obviously, we all love to travel if we can, but it's also kind of like annoying getting off your routine. And maybe sometimes you don't sleep your best or eat your best. And that's why Weston is here for you. Because at Westin, you can work out how you want with a variety of fitness options. First of all, they have the Westin Workout Fitness Studios, which are fabulous and equipped with state-of-the-art equipment. You can go on a group run led by Westin's Run Concierge, which is amazing. It'll show you the beautiful little local hikes and runs around the hotel. And you can do your own thing in your guest room with Westin's gear lending program. How cool is that? They bring up fabulous gear, like they have Bala Bands. It's so amazing. Plus, you can eat well with Weston's Eat Well menu. The Weston chefs have crafted dishes for your well being in mind, so you can choose what's right for you based on portion size, nutritional balance. And then you can recharge your body and mind with restorative sleep. Did you know that Weston makes their own beds and they're called a the heavenly bed? And you can buy them for your own home because people are so in love with these beds that they're now available for purchase. They are cozy and fabulous. You're going to get a great night's sleep and you can wind down naturally with their Sleep Well Lavender Balm, which eases tension and soothes the senses. Westin Hotels are also part of Marriott Bonvoy, which is an extraordinary portfolio of hotels and award-winning travel programs. At Westin, you can move well, eat well, and sleep well on the go. Find wellness at Westin. SuperGut is the first and only gut health nutrition brand whose prebiotic shakes, bars, and fiber mix are clinically proven to improve digestion, balance blood sugar, sustain energy, and support weight loss. We have a really good episode on this with their founder, which I encourage you to listen to. So they have three amazing products. The prebiotic bars are a perfect snack. They're packed with enough protein and fiber to keep you full in between meals without the added sugar that usually leads to more snacking. The prebiotic shakes are great for an easy breakfast or quick lunch. They're loaded with protein fiber, 26 vitamins and minerals that keep you full for hours and cover all your nutritional bases. You can add them to a smoothie. I even like them just with water and ice. They're delicious. And my favorite, the All Star, is the Add to Anything Fiber Mix because oftentimes my stomach gets upset when I'm traveling. So to have this on hand in my bag was a lifesaver for me this summer when I was traveling. It's the most versatile prebiotic supplement out there with just four wholesome ingredients. You can add the unflavored powder to your coffee, oatmeal, smoothie, anything without affecting taste or texture. I honestly just mix it with water. It's like so easy. Gut health is misunderstood. Most people exclusively associate it with digestive health. However, the gut is more akin to the command center for the entire body. It regulates everything from appetite, energy to weight, immunity, mood, And sleep and current popular gut health interventions are really limited in their efficiency. For example, the unfortunate truth is that most probiotic supplements, which are either dead on the shelf or burn in your stomach acid, fail to inoculate in your gut. They just don't do very much. Prebiotics, the fiber-rich foods that are the number one fuel source for the trillions of beneficial bacteria already in our gut are the most effective way to better gut health. Once a staple of our ancestors' diets, industrial food processing has really just kind of stripped all that away. So we're really only getting 5% of the recommended 30 grams per day with 93% of Americans metabolically unhealthy. And we really can't ignore that correlation. So this is why they made this beautiful ingredient. I'm telling you, add it to anything, put the bars in your bag, Use these smoothies and your gut will absolutely thank you and you will be thanking me. Use code BEST at checkout and you get 25% off your purchase. Visit www.supergut.com and use code BEST to save 25% off your purchase. That's supergut.com and code BEST to save 25%. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe I used to care so much about portraying a perfect life and acting like everything was okay when really things were far from it. I was secretly struggling with my mental health and wondering if other people were too. That's why I created RealPod. Hi, I'm Victoria Garrick-Brown and every Wednesday I host the types of conversations that most of us only have in therapy. RealPod brings you the heart-to-heart moments we all need to be having and will leave you feeling comforted no matter where you're at in life. So leave the filters at the door because it's time to get real. Tune into RealPod wherever you get your podcasts. Well, the fact that there isn't in America a public school in every neighborhood that is adequate makes no sense to me as somebody who would run a car. I would just think raising good people who are smart and have access to education and a safe place to go and food would be baseline that would just mm-hmm. be baseline right that's what everyone exactly. deserves what were some of the things that you saw in children you know I have a two-year-old and there are so many I don't know, I, I, like I I did like a deep dive into like all these books about how to raise certain kids. And then I realized that was also very overwhelming. And so I was just Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to go with my mom. Got here. My mom lives with us. So I have a multi generational household. I trust my mom. And I have, you know, we have like a good community around her. So I figured having multiple other human beings is a good thing. But what were some of the things that you were seeing in children that were, you know, either really like shocking to you or things that are kind of like easily avoidable almost or things that you would look out for in your own children to make sure that you were, you know, they had like a well, some sort of well-rounded, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm sure it's complicated because there's a lot of things out of control, out of so much control, right?
0: Yeah, there definitely is. And it's really complex, but I will say the things that I saw happening a lot is seeing how intergenerational trauma manifests Mm. in children and it relies on the parent, right? The parent Mm -hmm. doing that work of healing those unresolved traumas, but also not recognizing the different traumas that are deeply ingrained in them. And we don't call them traumas. We call them culture and we call it tradition.
1: Jesus. Uh Uh-huh.
0: Yes. And so we will say it's okay for me to spank my child with the belt. That's what we do in my culture and not think about the emotional repercussions that has with the child where Mm -hmm. it doesn't make a child feel safe. It actually doesn't teach a child how to regulate. There is no way you're going to teach someone to regulate themselves if they are in fear and whipping them and spanking them with an object is not going to make them feel safe. And the rebuttal to that is if you stop, if you keep crying, I'm going to give you more to cry about. Right. But you Mm -hmm. want them to stop crying. Right. But people don't realize that that is a, a form of trauma that you are putting on the child. They don't even realize that as a trauma response in themselves where they themselves can't regulate around someone else's dysregulation. Mm. So they utilize threats or harmful tactics oh, wow. as a way to encourage someone to be submissive because you are running out of patience. You are exhausted. You oh, are dysregulated. Wow. Mm-hmm. And instead of me doing the work <laughs> to recognize that this is my own discomfort, this is my dysregulation. I need you to submit and i need you to silence yourself so that i can feel better whoa so that is often a big thing it's very big and very complex and it's something that i see happen a lot
1: (laughs) my dad's not alive but if he was i would be like sir (laughs) (laughs) the wooden spoon (laughs) in the belt that you like to bring out that's actually (laughs) your stuff
0: that's your stuff we
1: need to talk about
0: (laughs) I also see a lot of children modeling behaviors from their parents that their parents may not realize they are exhibiting. I would watch children a lot during dramatic play just to get a window into the into their world cuz that uh-huh. is what dramatic play can signal. So, you know, I would watch children do things like they're walking around and they're looking all dizzy and they're like putting a cigarette to their mouth and I'm like, "You know, what are you doing right now? Like tell me what's happening." And they're like, "You know, I just had a few beers." And I just did this and I'm like smoking my cigarette because I'm so exhausted, you know, and that helps me to one, help the child give language to the experiences that they're having at home. But that also helps me to understand what stressors the parent might be experiencing as well as possible mental health issues so sometimes I will bring that back to the parent to say like you know this happened in dramatic play today and I'm wondering if there's some additional resources of support that you need but I also wanted to explore this with you like what comes up for you when I share with you that today like Just going to use a false name. Kevin told me that he was really drunk. He came home from work. He's really tired and he had like five beers and now he's smoking a pack of cigarettes. Like what comes up for you when I share that? Because now what I'm doing is holding a mirror to the parent who they may have normalized these maladaptive coping responses to stress that they don't realize their child is witnessing and now also absorbing in some sort of way. Oh, my God. In our current culture, I'll also add to like, you know, helping parents have healthy relationships to technology, because the same way we have visceral reactions to children always being on their iPad or always being in front of a screen. I'm like, well, you know, as an adult, as I move through life, adults are always on their cell phones. always. And studies show that the average American checks their phone every three minutes. Not every six hours, every three minutes. And so what happens between bonding and attachment building and connection if the parent is also glued to a a device, right? Mm -hmm. And so how that also stunts a child's development because they're not necessarily getting the attention they need. They're not getting secure attachment between them and the parent. So I also speak to those things when I'm working with kids and I always do it in a way where I am curious and exploring with the parent because I know parenthood brings up a lot of shame. Mm. Everyone doesn't get the ability to go to school to study early childhood development. So when you're Pushing a child out into the world, there literally is no particular manual or guidebook that you are required to utilize by law so that you know how to take care of a kid. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I think that there needs to be a lot of compassionate conversations so that parents can feel more equipped to be able to say I'm struggling To be able to say some days this is amazing and some days I can't stand it, (laughs) right? And also have community support. I love that you shared being in a multi-generational household because I do think that also plays a role in community building for children and helping them build safer bonds with people. And it also increases quality, mental health, longevity of life, all of that, because you have multiple forms of support in the home. So those are some things that I share with parents to just be mindful of. But yeah, it's it's just, it's complex work. Um, I'm having a and-
1: device spiral <laughs> because I do, you know, there are times when like I'm working and my mom also works and my husband's gone at work and my mom will be on her computer and I'll be on my computer and like Carmela will just be like running around. And there have been times where I'll look at my mom and I'll be like, we're both in front of devices in front of her right mm-hmm. now, you know, like, and she's, I have a very sweet independent child, but like, she does have some delays, but she, you know, ever since she was little, she like plays by herself, whatever, regardless. Like it's now, but your parents do this and I need to make sure that I don't have these like weird spirals because she was born how she was born and it's it's nothing that like I did or, but I do think oftentimes about phones and how much we're all on them. And I notice it in parents when I'm out in the world. And I think to myself, like, I don't want to be that parent that is sitting at a table with their kid on their phone and their kid is just like talking to themselves or playing with something. Mm -hmm. But it's just like, it is just a part of how we live now. It's so
0: normalized. It's very normalized and deeply ingrained. It's cultural now, you know, it's the norm. But Mm. I do love what you shared too. Like, you know, how can I just be more conscious of it? How can I just realize in the moment, oh man, I'm doing it again. You know, totally. that's what compassionate grace looks like. And being self-forgiving where I realize I said, I don't want to do this thing, but oh man, I caught myself doing it versus absolutely. the shame spiral that I think a lot of people go in. There's things are fixable. And I want people to remember that if it can be fixed, fix it. Yeah. You absolutely. know, instead of shaming yourself.
1: Freelance work is booming. So many of my friends are taking the leap and starting their own businesses and consulting. I mean, it is beautiful to watch everyone go from working their butts off from various companies and knowing that they can do it on their own. But I'm going to tell you the downside of that is like, how do you maximize your earnings, minimize your taxes and make sure you're legally compliant? Because it's not just like, oh, I'm freelance now. You have to be compliant. And the whole process is very overwhelming and it's confusing and it takes a lot of time away from your own billable hours. And I know this because I was that person for years. I wasted a lot of time and money and that's why I am so excited to always talk to you about collective.com. Collective was built specifically for businesses of one that are making over $60,000 in profit a year. Collective handles all of your back office work so you can focus on your passion, not the paperwork. Listen, listen. This is everything they're going to handle for you, which is nuts. Business formation and compliance paperwork. I had to pay for that, which was very expensive from one specific person. Taxes. I also had to do that separately from a very expensive person. Bookkeeping. That was also a separate job. Accounting and payroll. These are all things that you would pay for separately. Plus, if you're already an LLC, Collective can retroactively elect your S-Corp tax status back to July 1st, which will save you thousands of dollars on your 2023 taxes. In fact... Collective members save on average $10,000 a year. Collective pays for itself within a few months and it's 100% tax deductible. It's like literally... It's like somebody putting a present in your lap. (laughs) Check out collective.com slash Pia before October 31st to potentially save thousands of dollars on your 2023 taxes. And to sweeten the deal, they'll even throw in an extra $100 off when you use my link, but you have to do this before October 31st. So that's collective.com slash Pia to get started with your personal team of self-employed tax experts. Collective.com, focus on your passion, not your paperwork. You guys, here we talk about Parallel. All the time. It's the first and only OBGYN founded vitamin offering targeted daily vitamin packs for various stage of a woman's hormonal life from your menstrual cycle to trying to get pregnant into pregnancy through postpartum and into early motherhood. They work with an exclusive team of world class doctors and leading experts to review all their product formulas and I don't know if you saw this on my Instagram. I hope you did, but I'm very excited to talk about it again here. Parallel is not just prenatals anymore. They launched the most epic product, and I can't wait to tell you about it. Okay, it's called the Cycle Support Pack, and this is a game changer. By the way, my most popular episode of my podcast of all time was on cycle syncing, but it can be very confusing, Right. Parallel just solved all of that for you. Most menstrual products only offer targeted symptom relief for your period, but Parallel's Cycle Sync Support Pack is made to sync with your cycle. It supports your entire cycle, and that's the first step to easing side effects like bloating, moodiness, and fatigue. Your menstrual cycle has four phases, menstrual, follicular, ovulation, and luteal. And as your hormones shift through your cycle, so do your body's needs. So Cycle support's one, two, three punch of iron ease, bloat relief, and PMS support was designed to move with your cycle and ease your side effects and restore balance to your cycle. Your only job is to take the pack every day. Now that David and I are also trying for baby number two, eventually, I take the Conception Support Pack as a pre-prenatal that bundles all the vitamins I need to prepare my body for pregnancy and support my fertility. I also have him on the men's Multi. And then the other product I don't go a day without is the PCOS support. I mean, I am, I am like a full Parallel girl. Exclusively for Everything is the Best listeners, Parallel is offering a free gift with purchase. This is the first time we've done this. The first hundred people to use this code will receive a free urinary tract support powder when you buy Parallels Conception Support Pack or Cycle Support Pack. So head to Parallel.co, that's P-E-R-E-L-E-L.co. Use the code podcast to get your free gift. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Have there been times in your life where you felt like you knew what was good for you or you knew the reality of various situations, but your brain was getting in the way. I mean, that happened to me. God started for me in eighth grade or my brain would just spiral. My thoughts would just take over. I had panic attacks. I had this looming fear of something happening in the immediate future and it became debilitating. And it happened again in my early twenties. Happened before I had Carmela. And That's where therapy is so helpful because you really need to be able to get the coping skills that you need. I always say there's just like you just need tools in your toolbox and therapy can help you figure out what's holding you back so you can work for yourself instead of against yourself. And that's why I love BetterHelp Online Therapy, because speaking of working for yourself, my God, I wasn't able to go to therapy for many years because... I had to travel across town or my therapist retired or, you know, moved locations. And like a phone session was never an option when I was growing up. Definitely not online. And so you have all of this access at your computer. It's so incredible. Again, entirely online, designed to be convenient, super flexible, suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire, get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelpcom Pia to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelpaglpcom Pia. Talk to me about, I'm going to shift a little bit. You know, you've really been able to turn your job into a thriving career. And that is something a lot of people strive to do and want to do. And so how did you, you know, I mean, I you were posting like mental health on Instagram like way before that was a thing. So you know, what was that process like, and how was that received? Now I think it's like a tactic to be like super vulnerable, and it's like <laughs> people are like, "I'm going to share this," you know. It's like which is amazing, and but it, but that was not not at all what people were doing when you started uh, your Instagram.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so I started my Instagram back in 2014 because that is when I graduated. Um, from NYU and the reason why I remember is because I remember thinking to myself oh man like I got to start adulting for real now like I got to get a job and I got to <laughs> do all these things like because I, I'll be honest and say I used education as a crutch for my own self-esteem as yeah, well sure. mm-hmm. and that is something that it took a lot of time in therapy to unpack because I found my worth in my value in my status and in the things that I did and in productivity so I remember thinking to myself, well, you know what? I'm exhausted. I am not going to school to get my PhD. So this is it, girl. <laughs> you got to figure it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't hide behind <laughs> education anymore. You got this degree. So, so funny. I, I didn't
1: notice I've been towards school for so long. And I was like, it's time to not be a student. <laughs>
0: A student, right? You know, I was just going through the motions and <laughs> plowing through education. I literally like graduated <laughs> high school in June, started college in July. No, um, yes, and I did my undergrad program in two years instead of four because I took six classes a semester, y'all. Six classes. Where'd you go to undergrad? Semester. I went to undergrad in, at Briarcliff College in Bethpage, Long Island. Yes, I also did not like the college experience because mm-hmm. I as I shared earlier, like I didn't even know what I wanted to do. So I kind of went to the school, they would come to our high school and tell us about their program. And I Mm -hmm. said, let me just go so I can get started and then I'll figure it out while I'm in college. So because I didn't really enjoy the college experience that much, it was a really small campus. It was in Long Island. Yeah, <laughs> so was like, it wasn't like, Long Island. yeah, it mm-hmm. wasn't the like school. the was fun like college experience you think right. you're going to get. So I said, I'll have to finish this program as soon as possible. <laughs> so I literally was doing six classes a semester and oh, five God. classes in the summer. So yes, I condensed my four-year program into two. <laughs> Amazing. Well, not a lot of people have that willpower. Not a lot of people do. I will say that. But I went on to get my degree and I remember thinking to myself, I always loved writing. I've always been passionate about books. So when I graduated, blogs were starting to thrive around Mm -hmm. the time. Like that was like when the blogging industry was starting to like really pick up. So I said, let me start a blog. And so that's what I did. And around that time as well, I would see other bloggers sharing their blog posts on Instagram. So I said, you know what, maybe I'll do that too. It just so happened, though, that my blog posts were always around mental health Mm -hmm. because I was talking about my experiences as a social worker and mental health is something I was always passionate about. So that is what my blog centered on. And that just started to pick up. And then I started to just share really small snippets and sentences for my blog on Instagram to drive more traffic to my blog. Then I started to share more inspirational quotes. And I don't know what year I made the huge pivot to just make my full Instagram page educational. Mm Because back then it was still like lifestyle plus mental health. So like, here's my selfie at brunch. And then my next post is all about, let's talk about childhood development. (laughs) 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 <laughs> and now when you go on my page, it's clearly like, all right, y'all, I don't have time for the <laughs> lifestyle content. So you're just going to get this mental health stuff. Uh, so um, I will say because I started at that time and I was consistent, I never stopped. I never said to myself at that time, too, because there were not many influencers on social media. Nobody thought about likes. Nobody thought about yeah. engagement. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was just post whatever you want to post. Right. So I think I also lucked out where everything wasn't so performative and Instagram wasn't what it is now, where it's Mm -hmm. all about ads and like really trying to keep people on the platform and reels and all of these different ways to create content. It felt really authentic and organic. And so it helped for me to stay consistent on those different platforms. And that's really what helped me get to where I am because this whole time I was working full-time jobs while simultaneously working on Instagram and sharing my content. And it started to pay off because that's when brands started utilizing Instagram and it started to really pick up to the point where it got to a place in 2020 where I was working full-time and I had my company I was always doing like speaking and different things. And it got to a place where I always said to myself, how does someone know when it's time to quit? Like, how do you know when it is time to fully step into your business? Mm -hmm. And I got to a place where I said, oh, it's because you have no choice. Mm -hmm. It literally got to a place where I was being pushed out of one because of my time, what it was demanding of me. And I realized I have to make a choice because I can't move forward trying to juggle both. Like it's literally impossible. I'm on my lunch break leading workshops for companies and I got to jump back to work, (laughs) you know, doing all of these things. It's impossible to juggle the two. That's how impossible it is. And that's literally what happened. So I said, if I have to pick and choose, I'm going to choose the thing that I built for myself. And that's how I was able to step into entrepreneurship.
1: Incredible. Thank you. Talk to me about these workshops.
0: So what I do now is I work with organizations to help them develop psychological safety and become inclusive of mental health. Mm. And I do that through keynote talks, consultations, and also providing educational workshops on a variety of topics within the workplace. So this could look like a workshop on burnout a workshop on BIPOC mental health in the workplace, a workshop on how to set boundaries at work, how to manage anxiety in the workplace, mental health, and how it incorporates into our day-to-day life. I'm thinking Um, of so many
1: companies I've worked for and I'm like, yeah, check, 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 (laughs) check. right, right. So what is that like for you going into some of these companies who have not a lot of diversity, shit ton Mm. of burnout, like... I mean, you must kind of be enemy number one a little bit <laughs> for, for, for a lot of these higher ups. So like, higher ups, right?
0: you know, it's fascinating. I will say I have had a wonderful time within the two and a half years that I've been full time in my company while well, running my company and doing this work. I do have a lot of clients who are receptive to this work, even yeah. when it's hard. And I also have found myself in positions where sometimes I have to, for example, meet with the client. This is their goal. But when I start to unpack things, I'm like, oh, well, maybe we should do some consulting first because there are some things coming up in this meeting that I realize a Workshop one workshop for 60 minutes isn't necessarily going to resolve. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And so how about we do some consulting work on the side while providing this workshop so that this can be ongoing and so that your employees don't feel like this is performative so that your employees don't feel like, (laughs) yes, you gave me this resource, but you only gave it to me because it's World Mental Health Day. And outside of that, you're not doing anything to create an inclusive culture, a diverse culture or a culture that is inclusive of mental health. And so I will say that it has been a huge stark difference working with people on a corporate level versus the one-on-one work, because when you're doing corporate work, my approach is this is community care work. So when you're working with clients one-on-one, you're really investigating their history. You're investigating their wounds, their traumas, and the different things that impact them as an individual. But when you're working on the corporate level, my approach is I am looking at it through a community care lens where, despite the things that are happening to you as an individual, how are we also being we-focused instead of I-focused? So hold on.
1: I want to talk about that because don't you feel... Like, you know, whatever. I look on TikTok all the time and I always see, by the way, it's shocking what a wide variety of diversity it is. But people saying, you know, you see how people film all these like fights on Instagram all the time. And it's like, well, don't park in front of my house. This is my house. Or like, this is my parking spot. Or like, I, it's, and you just see these fights that happen where it's like, this is my neighborhood or my thing or my, 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 my. How do we, work on balancing like exactly what you just said, fixing what we're going through. I mean, everybody has some sort of trauma that they need to work through and probably a lot of forgiveness to do with their parents, which you talk about all the time on your Instagram, which I really like because I think that so many people have family members and you're like, but that's family. And I'm I'm always like, I think it's probably a pretty good idea to like separate yourself from family members that are really toxic for you. But how do we like do the work that we need to do, but be like a we focused mm. society? And I feel like, especially on Instagram, we're not. Like it's like yeah. constantly attacking people. And I'm shocked by the things. I saw a guy the other day posted a video that he was horrified. This woman had three daughters and she was giving birth to her fourth and she was pregnant. She made a cute TikTok saying, you know, avoiding everybody making jokes about having a fourth daughter, just praying for a healthy child. And in the comments, people were like, what if it's an unhealthy child? I have a child that's neurodivergent. Is she not lucky? Are you, and it was all these people attacking her for saying that she was just praying for a healthy child. And I was like, okay, everyone, we've lost the fucking plot. Like, (laughs) We've lost the plot. Like, Mm -hmm. because, and that seems to me very centered that everybody's putting their own stuff on other people so intensely that it's separating us so much. Are you, I mean, you must be seeing this all the time. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the pitfalls of social media that it really is taking away people's ability to develop emotional resilience as well as Mm. self-efficacy. I think on social media, it is bringing up a lot of difficult emotions, watching people flourish or watching people have desires, such as I just hope to have a healthy child. And they feel triggered by this content. They feel like someone is speaking directly to them and making a negative comment specifically Mm. toward them. I think it is taking away from our ability to engage in critical thinking and not center ourselves. And I think it's made it easier for us to center ourselves and have main character syndrome, where we literally insert ourselves into every dynamic that's happening in society and trying to make it about us and self-serving. And honestly, the sense of privilege where, how could you not be making it about me? How is it that you're making content that does not center me? Everything you just said is
1: incredible. (laughs) <laughs> I want to, this is the clip for my Instagram. This is
0: insane. you just like, I, my, it, it's, whoa. It's a thing. You know, I literally, in my book, in the introduction, I wrote, because I know this happens online, I wrote in my book, I challenge you to learn to sit through the discomfort of knowing that you are not always going to be the intended audience for everything that you read and expose yourself to. Because there are going to be people who will pick up a book and say, I can't believe Mina wrote this. This isn't me. Well, maybe it's not you, right? Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your family member. Maybe it's for someone else. It's possible that this content is serving someone else and it is okay for you to not have the center stage all the time. But I think social media has created this idea that our worth is found through likes Our worth is found through our reels. It's found through engagement. It's found through how we show up online. And so therefore there are people who have to validate our worth. So as a content creator, you have to consistently validate me as a human being instead of me doing that myself. Mm. And so you have to create content that always makes me feel comfortable. And if I'm uncomfortable, I have now stepped away from critical thinking and realizing that I have the power to work through my dysregulation. Instead, what I say is I am so uncomfortable I'm also admitting to feeling like a powerless and helpless person that I think it's your job to make me feel comfortable now. So I, always I see that. feel
1: it's like, like it's almost like you see these comments and I'm like, that person doesn't work for you. Exactly. Doesn't, and
0: it's learned helplessness. Yeah. Yeah. It's learned helplessness. And what we say is Pia, it's your fault that I feel this way. So now you have to fix it instead of doing that internal work to say, well, why do I feel so triggered when I see Pia Postis or mm-hmm. when I see Nina Postis or when someone, a complete stranger, says something that is specific to them, their needs, their desires, and their life? And even if it's controversial, because I am a Black woman who exists in this space, mm-hmm. I come across crazy content all the time, sure. bigoted content, racist content. You know what I do? I block, I mute, and I unfollow. Mm-hmm. Because that is how I choose to protect my peace. And I am not going to argue with someone on the Internet who is being very explicit about the fact that they harbor certain ideologies that they're not interested in changing. Mm-hmm. Right. And even if they are interested in changing, I have also decided that it is not my job to always do someone else's anti-racism work. Yeah, I there's a plethora of resources. There's free TED Talks. You have YouTube if we aren't on our cell phones, we can also go on Google. specifically
1: can stop trying to do, exactly to do that. exactly. You are not <laughs> going not to job. catch
0: me It's be blocked and blessed to have a great day yeah. the moment I see something. So I do think that we as a people, have to be very mindful where when it comes to just how we engage online and realize that social media is really creating this, This culture of people feeling like they're powerless and feeling like they're helpless in the pursuit of change. And sometimes I have to say to people, just literally put your phone down. Yeah. Like literally my phone is right here. And sometimes we don't realize that I'm scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and I'm so unhappy and I can just turn off the screen and put it down and enjoy the world that exists around me. Right. But I have to be intentional and active and put in effort to make the world around me pleasurable Mm -hmm. for my own enjoyment and for the quality of my own mental health. And so I hope to be able to see a change in that. But I think social media does create this eye focused mentality because we're we're given the power to make things about us because it's your Instagram platform oh, you right. can post what you want you can do all these things and i think that it creates these pseudo relationships as well where now i love this content creator so i create this false ideology that they're my friend
1: it's and then as soon as that person says something that you don't agree with the hatred that is spewed and the disappointment is so, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. I I deal with it. I've dealt with it with myself, but I see it all the time, especially on TikTok. Because I have like such a happy, healthy little place there but there are times where I'll like look at comments, which I usually don't do. And I'm just horrified. I'm horrified. Do you deal with this? I mean, you must deal with this because you're saying things on Instagram that are probably very triggering to people's mental health.
0: Oh, absolutely. Which is why I'm really big. (laughs) You're like, right, ironically, right? My book. <laughs> Just read my book, y'all. Yeah.
1: But if it doesn't serve you, that's really on you. It seems like you have work to do.
0: <laughs> you know, it happens to me all the time, which is why I even say, if you want to engage in community care and I write in my book, like you have to understand that everything isn't going to be about you. Well, that's so there what are going to be what world here. do we
1: live in where, where people mm-hmm. think everything is about them?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's ego at play and not learning to manage our ego because often our ego is in the driver's seat. And Mm -hmm. so we don't know how to be community oriented. We're very Mm self-oriented. And so I think that people have to be very, very intentional to check in and realize when they are being self-centered and when they are trying to distort things to fit their own narratives and beliefs And learning to coexist in a world with people who are different from you and have different experiences. And that takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of intention and it takes a lot of care. It takes you actually wanting to be that person and being self-reflective enough to see, oh, I'm centering myself again. I am making myself the main character again. I am being defensive instead of listening. And those are the tools that it takes to exist in this world as an emotionally healthy person
1: before we go are there any practices or rituals or you know anything that you do or that you recommend that our listeners can start implementing into their lives to just you know maybe there's a little practice that can just make things get a little lighter when things start to get heavy during the day
0: Oh yeah. I think that when things are feeling heavy, I also, I would say I'm a big advocate of investigating what those things are and asking yourself, is there a boundary that I can erect? Mm -hmm. So a very obvious example is what we're talking about now, social media. If you find that at some point in a day, there's content happening online that doesn't make you feel good, You can unmute, you can unfollow, but you can also literally just put your phone away and decide Mm -hmm. that I am not going to engage in social media. I share this a lot when tragedy happens. I'm not an advocate at all of watching harmful content. So I would say if you know that there is a video that's surfacing online online. Do your best not to see it and just decide that maybe today is the day that I'm going to disconnect from Instagram because it might just pop up on my screen Yeah, and I can't control that. So those are things that I encourage people to do. I also think that it can be really important to engage in healthy escapism. We live in a culture right now where a lot of people experience burnout. They're really stressed out from work and all of the different things that are requiring their time, energy, and attention. And I don't think people realize that sometimes we make choices that adds to the stress and burnout. So I had a really stressful day and I come home and I expose myself to content or things that's even more stressful. Yeah. So do I want to have a very stressful conversation with my friend right now? Or my mother-in-law? Do I want to, this is going to sound so silly, but I had a really tiresome day. My executive functioning skills are literally depleted. I can't problem solve. I'm My brain is just scattered. And then I'm going to come home and try to figure out what to cook. If you don't order that Chinese food, <laughs> if you don't go on Uber Eats, like, come on, right? And the reason why I say that is because we don't even realize in a subtle ways that we add more stress to the brain. Yep. So your brain is already depleted. Your brain is already struggling to problem solve. And so I say, are there easy things that you can do? I know we love hacks, but I also say like, what are some really quick fixes that you can engage in that are still healthy and brings you closer to your goals? And so if you know you're hungry, can you just order something or pick something up after work? versus adding more stress to your plate around. Now I have to go in the kitchen and cook and figure out what needs to be cooked and the chicken isn't defrosted and all of these different things. Another form of healthy escapism is sometimes I think when we're trying to heal, we don't realize where we make healing this obsession. And so now every moment of our day is filled with learning moments. And so I also say, if you're having a really tiresome day, what are some healthy activities that you can engage in that feels like a form of escapism? To use myself for example, I am an educator. So I am always working and providing education through talks, workshops, even doing podcast interviews. But in order for me to be an educator, that also means I need to educate myself. So when I'm not actively working, I am reading books. I am Mm -hmm. reading articles. I'm staying informed. So during my downtime, I don't want to watch documentary. I'm going to go on Netflix, okay? (laughs) I'm going to (laughs) swap out the self-help book and listen to a novel on Audible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is how I learn to preserve my energy so that I don't feel like I am always constantly exposed to things that are heavy and dark because the work I do can be really tiresome. So that is what I mean by healthy escapism where I'm saying what are some... Healthy practices that you can engage in, like journaling, like watching certain TV shows, listening to audio books, or listening to meditations, going out for a walk because you. I did that home. yesterday. I went on a walk, and I was like, "Whoa!" So
1: important. There are right. days where I do not home. leave this house, and like exactly. I was just like everything was heavy, and I was like, "I have a call." I changed a Zoom to a call, and I took it on a walk, and I was like, "Whoa!" Yes, I'm outside. That's so important, <laughs> right?
0: Right. And so well, instead of saying better. I've been right, it's. Such a huge difference, and it could be a form of escapism from your everyday and from your sense of normalcy. Getting exposure to sunlight and quality air. So, those are some things that I would really encourage people to implement in their day to day.
1: Thank you so much, Mina. This was mind blowing. Really, everything that you said. I mean, I, I as you've been talking, I in my brain, I'm like, oh, I'm really happy, like excited to practice these things moving forward.
0: Mm. Well, thank you, Pia. I'm nice. so glad we thank got you. to have this conversation. Major congrats on your book. Thank
1: is you. there a place where you'd prefer people to buy it from? Because it is on Amazon. But if there a- is, okay. <laughs> no, some it people are like, Amazon. damn the man, like, find a local bookstore. but I'm also like, this right. is for business to thrive. So like wherever you need the book. <laughs>
0: Yes, that is true. Wherever you can find the book. I mean, the book is sold across all retailers. So if you don't want to shop on Amazon, you can get it on Barnes and Noble. You can order it on Target. You can also visit your local bookstore. And if you find that your local bookstore does not have the book, I also encourage you to ask them to order it because that also helps with the sales of the book. And it also helps to highlight authors. And so I encourage you to have even the library order the book if you can't find it. But you can find me on my website, WNNN www.minab.com and Mina is spelled M I N A A B.com. You can sign up for my newsletter, Mindful with Mina, where I share tips and practices on how to develop healthy relationships. And you can find me on social media with my name, Mina B.
1: Thank you so much, Mina. Thank you, Pia. All right. Nice to meet you. You too. Bye.